So we've been uh, working through the, the book of Ephesians and we're coming to the final part this morning um, and it's going to be great. You know, I'm, I'm believing that as we've been going through this course, we've been laying down some foundations and strategies on which we can build, on which we can become better and more and more like Jesus. That's ultimately the goal, isn't it? You know, really believing that we are going to see the best in 2020. So can I start by giving us some encouragement? You know, as Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians, um, the church there in Ephesus is relatively new. So he's writing to, you know, a fairly new church. But then approximately four years after the writing of this letter, Paul's number one pupil, his number one disciple, Timothy, is going to go on to, to pastor this church and lead that community. And then out of that fresh leadership, out of that fresh anointing, the church then goes on to grow rapidly. So it turns from this, this relatively new church into a church estimated to have been somewhere in the region of 25,000 people in this one kind of community. It goes on to film the ancient amphitheater that you might have seen pictures of there in, in Ephesus. And, you know, that's a city of, of maybe two, 300,000 people and 25,000 of those are part of this church, of this community. So it's, it kind of demonstrates the impact that the local church can have on a community. And as we already kind of touched on way back at the beginning, the church in Ephesus then went on to, to kind of speak into the other churches across Asia and became this, this kind of hub for, for growth and for teaching and evangelism. So God's got, God had big plans for, for the church in Ephesus. And I'm believing that as we kind of go in through this, this kind of course, that actually some of that can resonate with us here in Lytham. That actually as we read about what happened to the church in Ephesus, that actually through scriptures and through what we read, some of that message can touch our hearts and, and speak into us in Lytham in 2020. And, you know, we can really begin to believe that as a local church, we can, we can start to grow and to build and actually to have some, some influence, some impact on our community, that we can make a difference within our community. So are we ready for, for some of that? Good. You know, I believe that as we read kind of Paul's climatic concluding remarks in this letter that, that hopefully it can be a bit of a rallying cry for us. It can be our battle cry. It can get us ready to, to face what's coming in the year ahead. So why don't you turn with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to read a very well-known portion of scripture about the armor of God. So we're going to start in verse 10. Just read 10. 10 verses this morning and then dig into it a little bit deeper. Ephesians 6, starting at, chapter, at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that as we conclude this, uh, this portion of Scripture, as we conclude this series, that once again you will speak to us, you will highlight things to us, and I pray that not only will this be a message for us as a church, as a local community, but you'll bring something specific to each and every one of us that we can take home today, that we can use to, to, to change our lives, to, to bring us closer to you, to make us more and more like the new you that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we, we, we carried on the series and we, we were focusing around the importance of being consistent in our walk, weren't we? About being consistent in our walk with God. And, and as, as we kind of conclude this series, Paul is emphasizing to us here in this letter, he's emphasizing to us the importance now of staying, of standing, of, of remaining firm, of finding stability, of finding faithfulness and actually living in the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We've sung some incredible songs this morning that talk about everything that Jesus has done and then Gary led us in, in communion and we again remembered everything that Jesus did and what that meant. And so what Paul is saying is, is look at all of that, remember all of that, recognize all of what's gone before you and in those truths stand firm. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a doer. I like to do things. And I think often our lifestyles can be kind of defined by what we do. They can be defined by our deeds. But actually, Jesus introduces a new definition where actually our lifestyles are no longer defined by what we do or by our deeds, but by what he did and by his actions on behalf of you and me. On the cross, he said, didn't he, it is finished. Not, I've started the work and I want you to carry on, but actually, it is finished. Your sin, your wrongdoings, it's all been covered, it's all been paid for, it's all been dealt with. You're now forgiven. Your relationship is permanent, it's eternal, it's secure because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that he could finish the work. It's complete, it's done. And so now what, what Paul is emphasizing to us in these final words is actually we need to live in that truth. We need to hang out, we need to dwell, we need to make camp in that truth. We need to just receive and respond and rest in the reality of what Jesus has done for us. So as Paul summarizes in his letter to this, this critical community, a church that is going to go on to huge growth and revival. He begins this, this portion that we're going to conclude with today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength and might. Notice he's not saying rely on your own strength. He's not saying rely on your own might, but rely on God's strength. Right now, the key thing that we need to grasp hold of as we conclude this is let's lean into God. Let's not rely on ourselves and what we can do and what we can achieve, but let's rely on God. Let's rely on his power, on his strength. Let's remind ourselves once again that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. When we call ourselves followers of Christ, we have access to that same power. It's not your power, but it's God's power alive and living and at work within us. And we need to trust his power. We need to trust his grace. We need to trust his love and, and not our own. 
I think sometimes we can rely on ourselves, can't we? We try to do things first instead of praying. We try to fix problems instead of taking it to God. But actually, what Paul is saying to us is stand. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in the truth and the knowledge that it is finished. So he says, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then, then he jumps into this metaphor, this kind of war soldier metaphor as he helps us to, to kind of unpack this a little bit. So he's talking about putting on the armor of God. And so what he's doing by, by painting this picture of, of a soldier is he's likening our lives to warfare. He's likening our lives to to entering the battlefield. And, you know, I firmly believe that 2020 can be our best year yet, but that does not mean it will be our easiest year yet. And so that's what Paul is saying to us. This, This can be a great year, but actually you need to get prepared. And how do we do that? We put on the armor of God because this year is going to be our best. And I'm just going to say it's going to be our best. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge. There's going to be difficult days. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of the challenges that are going to get thrown at us, there's a constant, there's a permanent, there's something that never changes. And that something, that someone is Jesus. So as we enter this year, we need to get prepared. So how do we do that? We put on the armor of God. So that idea of putting on the armor of God, you would think, you know, when you're putting on the armor of God, that actually you're preparing to to go out to battle. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to put on all this gear. I'm going to grab hold of my sword and I am going to charge out to battle. I'm going to race out to meet my enemies. But actually, that's not where Paul goes with this, is it? He says, instead of talking about advancing and, and gaining ground, he says, put on the armor of God and stand. Put on the armor of God and stand. You see, in our humanity, what we want to do is read the start of that portion of scripture and say, okay, I'll put on the armor of God. And that means that I'm ready to charge out and do something, to charge out and meet the enemy, to charge out there and get stuck in. But Paul is saying, stand, get ready and stand, get ready and wait, get ready and trust. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't, re- we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Have you ever found yourself in, a, in an argument or in a situation where, where, where an argument kind of arises out of nowhere and it kind of, kind of attacks you a little bit by surprise? Now, Ruth and I don't fight we have a perfect marriage. But imagine with me, if you will, this hypothetical, underlined, highlighted, hypothetical encounter where seemingly out of nowhere, we're having a conversation and then the tone changes and I sense with my spidey senses that I am in trouble, that something has gone wrong. So in that moment, I'm stood there kind of having this discussion, but in my mind, racking my brains to think, what on earth have I done 
to cause this change in tone, to cause this, this shift in the balance of our relationship where now I'm in trouble. What on earth have I done? Did I forget our anniversary? Did I say something that I shouldn't have done? Did I not compliment a new haircut? Did I leave the toilet seat up? What on earth did I do? Now let me remind you this is a hypothetical experience in the reality if you leave the toilet seat up in my house it's me that will come down on you not Ruth don't you dare come to my house and leave the toilet seat up it's disgusting disgusting so I'm racking my brains in this hypothetical experience trying to figure out what on earth I have done to cause this shift in tone and then suddenly it hits me it's not to do with me hallelujah it's not me something else somewhere in Ruth's life has happened and the ripple effects of that are hitting me and I think sometimes that can happen in life because you know something happens to someone and then they take it out on someone else and I think that's a little bit what Paul is highlighting here because you know we may be in situations where we feel like our enemy is one thing but actually our enemy is something else we may feel like we're being attacked for for one reason but actually we're being attacked for something completely different it's not our, our boss or, or or our ex or our, or our co-workers or, or our friends who are are our enemies because Paul says we do not fight against flesh and blood so when we get in these situations and we and we kind of picture these people as our enemies for whatever reason Actually, they're, they're not the enemy. And that's what Paul is reminding us because when we, when we live in a place where those people become our enemies, when we live in that place, actually we're letting the real enemy win. We're letting the real enemy win because we do have an enemy. But it's not those people. The enemy is the devil. Then he's real and he hates you, but we've got nothing to fear. Why do we have nothing to fear? Because God has already won the fight. It is finished. So Paul goes on, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. He says stand so many times in those first few Verses that I think we should hopefully get the picture that we are to stand. We are to stand, not to do anything necessarily, but to stand, to live in that place of understanding that God has already done it all. He's already done it. We just need to receive that. We just need to trust in that. In my study of this, this portion of scripture, I found something that I found really fascinating. That, that image to, to put on the armor, to take up the armor, that phrase, to put on the armor of God, it sounds like we need to do something, doesn't it? It sounds like we need to do something to put on this armor, like it requires some effort from us in order to garb ourselves in all of these items of the armor. But actually, I think that's just us in our humanity assuming that we need to do something in order to help God out. Because we can't quite get over ourselves and the fact that we don't need to help God. He doesn't need our help. So we're thinking, okay, I need to put on the armor of God. I need to do something 
in this moment. But what I, uh, what I found out is actually in the original language, in the Greek that it was, it was first written, that phrase, to put on, it literally means sinking into the garment. Sinking into the garment. And actually, it's the exact same word used in Luke 24, after Jesus had risen again and, and, and he was speaking to his disciples and he told them to, to wait there until they were clothed with power from on high. So this to put on is the same action as being clothed with power from on high. Now when we read about the disciples waiting and then being clothed, you don't assume an action there, do you? But in, when we read put on the armor of God, we think, oh, you need to do something. But actually it's just this picture of sinking into the garment. It's, it's this effortless moment where God, not us, where God clothes us in the armor of God. He clothes us. We don't need to do anything. We just need to stand. We just need to stand, wait, trust, and receive. So Paul then moves into this beautiful metaphor describing the gifts of God and, and what it is that, that he's going to clothe us in so that we can live in this new life, so we can live like the new you and the new me that we've been called to live. And he begins with truth. He begins with truth and, and he describes it here as the, the belt of truth. So how does truth enable you to stand? How does truth enable you to do this thing that, that Paul's repeatedly telling us to do? You need to stand. So how does truth do that? I think that actually when, when we don't have truth, when we, when we are confused by lies, when we're confused by false doctrine, when we're confused by the media, when we're confused by, by gossip, actually things can knock us off our path, can't they? Things can knock us off the course that we're supposed to be living because we don't have truth. We're being swayed by all these lies, by all these kind of false words. Well, in, in Roman times, the, the belt that the soldiers would have worn is not like your standard belt. It was one of those that had kind of strips of leather that came down to protect the legs, to protect the knees. And actually also it had the ability for them to, to tuck their kind of robe, their garment inside. And so that's what they would do when they were preparing for battle. They'd have their belt on and then as, as it was time to get ready to fight, they would kind of scoop up their, their robe and tuck it in to this belt. And actually as they tucked it in to the belt, it would give them a freedom of movement. It would give them the freedom to be able to move whichever way they needed to move because they're no longer restricted by the robe that they're wearing. They're no longer restricted by, in this kind of metaphor, the lies of this world or the confusion of the media or, or the kind of panic of, of comparison. We're no longer restricted by all of that because we've, we've tucked it into the belt of truth in this sense. Because God clothes us in truth and he begins to kind of highlight to us that the lies that we're being, we're being hit with and, and the, the untruths that, that people are speaking about us. And he says, you don't need to believe those things because I've given you the belt of truth. And that Paul that, that picture paints, it kind of reminds us maybe of, of John chapter 8 where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because when you have truth around your waist, when you can tuck the, the garment into your truth belt then you have the freedom to move 
truth will set you free. You know, we, we were having a discussion the other day um, in our lounge about the world that we live in. And actually, you know, we live in a place where, where no longer will people accept that there is absolute truth. People kind of assume that, you know, it's okay for that to be truth for you, but it's not truth for me. But that's not how truth works. It's either true or it's not true. And it's as simple as that. But we live in a world that doesn't say that anymore. We live in a world that is, is kind of flexing and, and bending so that actually I can say this is true for me and you can say the polar opposite and that can be true for you. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches absolute truth. And so when we as believers, when we as, as followers of Christ accept absolute truth, it then breaks us free from the bondage and the lies of these kind of false truths. It gives us the freedom to live in the grace of truth, being fully alive and fully aware of God and his truth so that we can experience that kind of liberty and freedom that God intended for our lives. So that beginning place that, that Paul starts with the belt of truth is vital because it gives us the freedom to move about, the freedom to, to act and to live and to love in a way that we've been called to live. And then he goes on, doesn't he, to mention the next gift, the gift of righteousness. And he refers to this as the breastplate of righteousness. And he's, you know, he's speaking here to people who would have totally understood this metaphor. When he said, put on the armor of God, they would have pictured a Roman soldier wearing all this garb. So they, they totally would have had in their mind this picture of what a Roman soldier would look like. So he's speaking directly to these people. So righteousness is gifted to us by God. And that idea of righteousness means that we're, we're relating to God in the right way. It means that we're living with God in partnership with him. We're doing things right. We're doing things well because we recognize that by righteousness, that through his righteousness, we, we have been forgiven. Our sin, our errors, all that we have done wrong, all that we ever will do wrong has been made right by Jesus and his sacrifice. So with that truth, with that understanding we have that righteousness established within our hearts. It becomes this, this permanent resolution. It becomes a constant gift from God, meaning that, that even on our worst days, even when we, when we mess up, when we slip back into our old lives, when we begin to do things that we know that we shouldn't do, even on those days, even in those moments, we have righteousness. We have righteousness like a breastplate protecting our hearts. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, for he knows everything. You see, when we mess up, when we slip up, when we do things that we know that we shouldn't do, our, our hearts and our emotions begin to tell us that we're a failure. When we mess up, when we do something wrong, something within us tries to pull us away from God. I'm no longer good enough to be in his presence because I've done this thing that's wrong and I'm convicted of that, that sin, of that action, and so I'm no longer worthy to be in God's presence. But righteousness covers that. Like a breastplate protecting our hearts, it covers the stuff that we do wrong so that no longer do we need to live in that condemnation. It goes on in that chapter in 1 John, Beloved, 
if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That means that God loves us no matter what we do. That doesn't give us an excuse and a justification for for doing wrong, but it means that when we do mess up, when we do slip up, that actually it's okay. God's got this. He's paid the price for us. He's already done it. It's finished. For now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. The words that Paul wrote to the Romans that, that speak volumes into this. So we've been given freedom by the gift of truth, by this belt that's wrapped around our waist. And now we have confidence through his righteousness because we're accepted by God, because he's paid the price and he's pleased with us. And then Paul goes on in verse 15, you've got truth, you've got righteousness, and the next gift is the gift of peace. So peace, Paul likens this to the shoes that the, that the Romans would have worn that the soldiers would have worn. And I don't know what, what picture you're getting in your mind. I don't have a picture up on the screen of a, a Roman soldier. So what picture are you getting in your mind when we, we talk about shoes? Maybe it's the latest Nikes or you're thinking of some nice shiny heels. I don't know. You like my new shoes? These were a gift from me to me via Ruth for Christmas. So, you know, I don't know what picture you're getting in your mind of shoes, but that's not what we're, we're talking about this morning. When he's talking about the shoes in the armour of God in the armor of a Roman centurion, the, these shoes, they, they were heavy duty boots. They are shoes designed for warfare. And actually they're, they're a little bit like football boots in the sense that in the soles of their feet, they had studs like almost like nails so that when they dug their feet into the ground, it would stick in the ground and they could stand firm. So once again, Paul is echoing this message to us that we need to stand. And so with these shoes on our feet, with the shoes of peace, we can stand firm in that truth. But what does peace have to do with shoes? What does peace have to do with footwear? Well, in this picture of soldiers, in this picture of of warfare, if, this, if the soldiers truly are going to dig in their feet and stand firm, well, they're not going to be able to stand firm facing an enemy if they're not at peace with their circumstance, with their situation, with the people that are around them. Because if you don't have peace in that situation, then actually you're just going to want to turn around and flee. You're going to want to scream retreat and run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. But what he's saying is you have peace. You have a peace in the face of the enemy that is coming against you. You have a peace that is passing all understanding. You have this peace that can guard your heart and your mind in Christ. This peace that will give you the power to stand firm, to hold your ground, to know that actually God has already done it. He's already won the fight. He's already completed the work and won the battle because we have peace and then Paul goes on to say not only have you been given peace but he's given you faith not only do we have peace but we've got faith the ability and grace to trust in God and and he uses the picture of a shield to describe faith so faith is is a complete Kind of understanding, it's a complete trust and, a, and awareness. And I think if in faith, 
when we have faith, we're more aware of God than anything else because, you know, the Bible speaks, doesn't it, that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. So when we, when we have faith, when we have real faith, it means that anything that we're facing, any circumstance, any challenge, any difficulty, any wall, any barrier is made insignificant, is made, is made you know, the impossible is made possible with faith. So Paul is saying here, you've been given the gift of faith, but he describes it as a shield and goes on to say that that shield will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, he's not saying that the devil is literally sitting there pinging fiery darts at us. But what he is saying is he's describing this picture once again of the Roman soldiers in battle. And they would have stood their ground, dugging in their, their heels and their feet. And then they would lock shields and form this kind of cage of shields of protection. And that actually the, the enemy would have literally fired flaming darts. They would be dipping the darts into, I don't know, some kind of fuel, setting on fire and, and pinging these darts at the soldiers. But what they would do before battle in their preparation is that they would saturate their shields with water. They would saturate their shields with so much water that when they created this barricade of shields, when the darts came down, as soon as the dart touched the shield, it would be extinguished. So not only would the shields protect them from the arrows kind of breaking through, but it would also put out the fire. As soon as it connected with the shield, the fire would go out. And your faith, Paul says, will do that for you. You know, maybe just think of the things in, in life that can, can cause you stress, that can assault your, your standing firm, your stability, the things that, that kind of come against you to, to knock your firm foundation, to, to rock your confidence, to, to kind of blur your clarity, those things that, that kind of come to steal away your security and freedom. If you think about those kind of darts in life that, that maybe burn inside and cause you stress and anxiety, what Paul is saying is saturate yourself in faith. So that when you hold up the shield, not only will it protect you from the, the kind of pain that comes through, but it will put out the fire. It'll stop it from spreading. So it's this incredible picture here of, of faith and the importance of having faith. Now imagine if, if just looking back to that example of faith the size of a mustard seed, if that's what that kind of faith can do, imagine if we have greater faith. What can we do with God? in partnership with him. I pray that we can be people who let our faith in God, let our awareness of, of God kind of build us up and, and, and remind us of you know, what we talked about last week about God's master plan. We've got our own agendas, but actually we need to put those aside because God's got a plan that's bigger than that and his plan is to, to bring salvation to the world. So I pray that we can be a people that let that picture and that, that thinking and those truths cause us to have incredible faith so that we can stand together in community as a tribe, as a group of soldiers, wrapping our, our shields together, locking our faith together and building this incredible wall 
of faith. And it's not just to, to shield us from the big things and the, the huge attacks, but also the, the little things that try to get in, the, the kind of gossip and, and backbiting and the, the kind of little dramas in our lives that can cause us to, to sway from our paths. May our faith extinguish even those. And so Paul goes on, in, in all our circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. So we've been given the gift of salvation. I mean, if it's not obvious, these gifts that we're talking about through the, the armor of God, these are not little things. I'm attempting to fit all of these into a 35-minute message. It's basically an impossible sermon because each one of these we could do a whole series on. But, but Paul says, you know, God's given you truth and righteousness and peace and faith. And, and while we're on it, let's not forget about salvation. God has saved you. He saved us. He forgave us. He's accepted us. We can now have relationship with our heavenly father father we are sons and daughters of the god most high he's given us salvation and paul says it's like a helmet it's like a helmet because it guards our minds you know our thoughts can get away with us can't they our thoughts can get a little bit out of control but with the helmet of salvation firmly in place you can remember and remind yourself who you are and whose you are, that you're loved, that you're forgiven. And hopefully those truths and that understanding will give you a sound mind. And then he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what this picture is doing is it's bringing together the Bible and Jesus. And, and in Hebrews 4 it says, for the Word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the Bible isn't just a historic book. It's not just a textbook. It's not just a set of rules and regulations that we should live by, but it's the living, breathing, active Word of God. And, and when we read it with that understanding, when we read it in partnership with the Spirit, when we read it with the author, the one who breathed the words of the Bible out, when we read it with God himself, it becomes alive. You see, as we read this book in partnership with God, he highlights things to us. He, he inspires us. He challenges us. He, he convicts us and he shows us through his word, through this book, how much he loves us. So we've been given this sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on to say, praying at all times in the Spirit. You see, this book is not something we should just read out of a, a religious obligation. It shouldn't just be a, a box-ticking exercise. We wake up in the morning and I do my, my daily Bible reading or I read, read my, my word for today and, and I have that kind of, you know, devotional time to tick a box. It's not something we do kind of out of obligation, but actually it's, it's a partnership and it should be an encounter. Every time we open this book, it should be an encounter with the living God. His life lives in here. This story tells of how much he loves us. This story tells us of, of how much he, he wants for us in the future and it tells us how to get there. So we need to live it in, in partnership with him. We need to read it in partnership with him because it's, it's not only his story, but it's becoming our story. And he highlights it to us and he begins to, to draw our hearts in line with, 
with his heart so that we can have that kind of continuous relationship with him. The goal of reading the Bible is not information. It's not ticking a box. It's about relationship with God. It's about sharpening our lives. That picture of it as a sword cutting through soul and spirit and marrow. It's supposed to sharpen us. It's supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to make us better people. If you think way back to, I think it was week two when we were talking about God moving into our hearts and moving some stuff around. That's what reading the word of God should do. It should be giving him access to do some surgery in our souls. So we've been given truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the spirit. And, and all of this is not so that we can advance in battle, not that we can charge towards our enemies, but that we can stand, that we can stand. So I pray that, that as we remember these items that Paul is listing here, as we kind of work through the, the armor of God in our minds, as we remember that we don't need to be active in putting on, we just need to stand and allow God to clothe us in these things, allow God to, to bless us with these gifts, that we can stand firm, that we can wear this with pride, that we can wear, the, wear this to prepare ourselves for what's to come. Not that we need to charge, not that we need to set off before God, but that we can just allow him to bless us and then stand and wait for him. Wait for him to move. Wait for him to show us what's next. So I hope that's been an encouragement for you this morning. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you for the way in which you bless us. We thank you for this picture that, that Paul has created. Lord, I pray that you will highlight to us absolute truth, that you will highlight to us what is, what is false, that the, the lies that we believe about ourselves, the lies that we believe about our future, I pray that you will break those lies off and replace them with truth, the truth that you love us, that we are yours, that you have got us, that you are for us. I pray that you will remind us of our righteousness, that you will fill us with peace, that you will build faith in our lives, that you will build faith in this place. I pray for testimony after testimony of, of healing and blessings that, that can help in this place to build faith. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you paid the ultimate price, that you made that decision to come and give us freedom. And we thank you for your word, for your spirit, living and active in our lives. We thank you that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. And we just, we just want to stand, like you've instructed through this letter from Paul, that we should just stand. So in this moment, we stand and we wait on you. We wait to receive from you. We wait to hear from you. We wait to see where it is that you're taking us. I pray that we won't race ahead, that we won't think that we know best, that we won't try to implement our, our own strategies or, or our own agendas, that we can just stand firm, knowing that you are the master and maker of all things. So in this moment, we just stand and we say thank you for your love. 
and for these gifts. In Jesus' name. Amen.